You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I would like to call in the spirits to join us here today. In particular, I call out to our ancestors, to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in the legacy um, of all of our ancestors into each of our lives. And I call out to those ancestors in particular who lived well and who died well and are able at this time to be present with us as ancestral helping spirits. So I call out to these ancestors to help us to understand the lineage that we belong in. So that we can feel our sense of belonging and place in our life and in that fine firm ground to find the place that we stand, to stand in our own inner sovereignty and to reach deeply within to know why we are here. That the shamanic people say that our ancestors dreamt of a better future and we arrived. So I call out to the ancestors today to support us that we might manifest that better future and that we might dream well for those who are coming, that they might bring an even better future to the world. So I call out to the ancestors to join us here today and hold us well, that we might reach down now from our heart into our bellies, through our feet and into the earth to that most essential ancestor, the earth and to give thanks to the earth for life for the wonder that is life for the blessing that is life and for the great beauty that is life and even for the hardest things that are in life for the fact that those things too will pass that things can be changed and things can transform and so we give thanks for even that magic in the dreaming So we give thanks to the earth for place, for home, for connection and belonging. And we draw the energy of the earth up through our legs into our body that we might feel the wisdom of manifestation. And that we can learn each day how to better be here in form in a way that is good for all living things. So we reach out to the earth and give gratitude for our life and to give thanks for the connection and interconnection that is the true nature of our existence. And we ask in this day to have a moment or two or maybe more of knowing our place in the oneness and recognizing ourselves as part of this great interconnected web of life. So with the ancestors standing round, reminding us of the dream that brought us here, and reminding us of our responsibility as dreamers. And with the earth below us, giving us all of these resources that we need to be here, to live, to breathe, to eat, to survive, and ultimately to thrive and to bring our gifts to the world. So we give thanks to the ancestors and the earth and reach up through our bodies, through our hearts, through our minds, all the way up. To the highest power of the universe and by whatever name we call that energy up through all the sky realms and into the cosmos by whatever name we call that energy we call it down into ourselves into these proceedings into our day 
And we draw into our day protection, we draw in blessing, we draw in benevolence and generosity. We call in those energies in life that bring the mentors to us when they are needed, that bring the champions in that moment just as we think we will falter. We call out to this energy that is the true nature of our universe and draw it into our bodies, into our minds, into our hearts, and draw that energy of the sky down to merge and dance and be one with the energy of the earth within us. And as these energies dance and intermingle within us, let us feel those energies as great resources that we can draw on to do what we have come here to do. And let these energies inspire the awakening and the calling into the spirit of the heart. And let's call out to the spirit of the heart to be what it is truly and uniquely designed to be, different from all the other chakras, this place. This place of the great crucible, the crucible that can hold profound opposites, profound paradoxes, and find within that paradox the truth. And so we ask the heart to reach down and draw up the fiery passions of the belly and to reach up and draw down the cool, cool, clear inspiration of the mind. And to let these energies mix and merge in the heart and give birth to that third energy that is our reason that we are here and our knowing of our soul's purpose. And may we also find in our hearts the courage to live that purpose and bring our gifts to the world. So with our heart awakened with our own intention, the energy of the earth below and the sky above coming into us and giving us strength and resources and the ability to go forward in this day and the ancestors standing around to guide us. May these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. What needs to be heard, be heard. What needs to be said, be said. And may all of this help us each to find a way to bring our gifts ever more clearly into the world. And so I'd also like to give thanks today to Deborah and all the listeners who have donated to the show because you all keep the show on the air. It is through your offerings, your response, your um, actions taken in regard to the show that help me understand that the show is still meaningful and valuable in the world. So I give thanks to you for your messages. I give thanks to you for your questions. I give thanks to you for your ideas about shows that we could have. And I also ask you to notice if you are moved in your heart by a particular show and to allow that movement in your heart to translate into action. Um, if you would like to donate to the show, you can do that easily by going to whyshamanismnow.com and to donate whatever amount, large or small, it is all greatly appreciated, truly and sincerely, because it goes directly into the fund that keeps the show on the air. And I would also uh, like to offer those of you that don't feel comfortable to pay uh, through the internet to simply email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org and I would be happy to send you a good old-fashioned terrestrial address that you're welcome to send a good old-fashioned check to. So I thank you all for all that you are doing to help the show to grow and to thrive in cyberspace. And most importantly, I give thanks to you who are taking what you are inspired um, what inspires you in the show into your lives, into your actions, and really bringing a practical application of shamanism into your lives. So the show today is live. Um, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or to Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or to email me at Christina at lastmasscenter.org. So, many times on this show, 
I've shared the story of the ego and the adventurer. And I share this in particular at this, this time, in this winter time. So the story of the ego and the adventurer are simply stories about two aspects of ourself. And there are many, many ways these two aspects of ourself are discussed. Um, in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, they speak of the ling and the shen, the two aspects of the heart, the inner aspect of the heart and the outer aspect of the heart. You can see this this um, sense that there are two aspects of ourself in numerology and astrology and all of these other systems, all the many ways that we have tried to understand how to be human in a good way, how to be truly and fully human. And the story of the ego and adventurer um, is helpful, I think, when we are thinking about why are we here and what are we here to do and what is our purpose and you know what do I have to give to the world that is unique? Um, what, what could I give to the world that would give my own life meaning? Um, what is it? What is the value that I bring? And the, so the story of the ego and adventure is very simple. It just speaks to these two aspects of ourself. And the ego in this story is a healthy ego. And basically, it's the part of yourself that wants to manifest your destiny in the best sense. That wants to understand why you are here, to live a good life of meaning and to purpose and to do uh, what is truly your destiny to do in this lifetime. And so the ego is the part of yourself that stays on task and has a sense of the goal and um, the journey to get there. And is um, getting you out of bed in the morning and saying, let's go. You know, hitch up your britches, let's go. We've got a destiny to manifest. And the adventurer is the part of yourself along that journey that notices the things that flirt with you, that notices the things that draw your attention away from the ego's idea of the journey and wants to wander off. Um, if we were looking at, at a map in the U.S., it would be the blue roads. It would be those roads less traveled. It would be the thing that appears to be a distraction. Um, the thing that seems to have no purpose or practicality or direct relationship to the destiny, the getting, the getting, the ego's idea of getting to the destiny. And if we take these adventures, not all the time, because if we did them all the time, we would end up going around in circles. But if we take these adventures when our soul feels a deep longing to be renewed by an adventure, on those adventures, we skin our knees and break our hearts and bump our heads and discover through those experiences more fully who we are. And in many ways, it is only because of the adventures that we actually become the person who can truly manifest the destiny we are here to live. And that is the great inner tension between the ego and the adventurer is the adventurer always wants to wander off on an adventure to discover who we are not yet, to discover the parts of ourselves we don't yet know. And the ego wants to stay on task and get there. And yet, um, without the ego, the adventurer would end up leading us around and around and around in circles and never truly manifesting the destiny because it is the moving towards the destiny that gives the adventure context, that gives the person we are becoming through the adventure a reason to emerge. And yet at the same time, if all we ever did is walk in a straight line to the destiny, we'd learn nothing. And it really wouldn't be um, anything new and unique. It would simply be 
repeating what has already been done. And so the adventurer is in many ways the way that we discover um, our uniqueness. And so together, in balance, the ego and the adventurer create for us a rich life. And through that rich and creative life, we end up ultimately to manifest our destiny. The challenge for humans is that in the Western world, at least, in the Western thinking world, and as other cultures begin to adopt that way of thinking and being, the ego tends to win out and begin to, um, without the balance of the adventurer, uh, begins in spite of itself to grow out of balance and to become attached to its role and in that to become arrogant and begin to be a tyrant and run the entire show to the point where we feel that any impulse from the adventurer is wrong or bad or something to be avoided. And then we begin to have a very unhealthy internal relationship with our journey, our life's journey. And the the challenge with that, the sadness, the deep, deep sadness in that is that we can ultimately lose our path to the adventurer. And then we're just, the ego is, we'll run amok and we'll never make it to our destiny as determined as the ego is to get there. It's like that horrible place in a dream where you know you need to run or move and you can't. You know you need to speak and the sound doesn't come out. That horrible place in the dream where all of your energy is going towards doing something and it just doesn't happen. And so the sad thing would be to lose the path to the adventure, to let the path from disuse grow so overgrown that we can no longer find it. This is the, could be the great sadness of life. And so this is why we talk about renewal on this show every winter. Because naturally, through the cycling of life, winter is the time to renew and restore our connections, to open the paths again to the aspects of ourselves that are like the adventurer, the aspects of ourselves that tend not to get as much airtime in our everyday life. And yet they are the essential parts of ourselves that will bring us to our uniqueness and our wholeness in life. And so we talk about it this time of the year, not because it's the end of the year, because we could debate when the end of the year really is, depending on people's different understanding of the cycling. So it's not about that. It's about a sense that this is the time of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. Granted, this is not so true in the Southern Hemisphere. It's true six months from now in the Southern Hemisphere. But in the Northern Hemisphere, this is the time when the body and the being together are both going within. So it is the natural cycling of the body, the physical body, and the inner being to go in. So it is the time naturally uh, for restoration and renewal. And that's why we talk about this at this time every year. So for the spiritual adult, this time of year is an opportunity to spend time with your inner counsel. And uh, the first thing to do with that inner counsel is first to be sure that everyone is at the table. And that everyone at the table is equally and freely allowed to speak, to contribute to how you see the world, to your discernment in that, 
and ultimately to how you choose. So what are you going to choose to do? Where will you put your time and energy and resources? So last week we discussed um, people at the table, at your own inner council. And these would be the archetypes. Last week's show was about the archetypes of being, of simply being a human. So we talked about the child and the sage and the adult man or father or woman and mother. So these four energies need to be at the table. And we talked about that last week and explored the ways to renew and restore our relationship with each of these energies within ourselves. And this week we're moving on to talk to the four archetypal talk about the four archetypal energies that support us not so much in being human but in identifying and moving towards our purpose. So these are the archetypes that really support us on our journey. Now, granted, if we can't show up and be human, we're pretty much crippled and hobbling along in our journey, granted. That's why we started there. But today's show is really about um, the archetypes that support us on the journey of living our soul's purpose or manifesting our destiny or discovering our unique genius, however you like best to think about that. And these are the dynamic between the healer and the teacher leader and the warrior and the visionary. And these, these four energies all need also to be at the table of that inner council to help you as the adult see reality, discern the truth, and make the right decisions for yourself moment to moment. And so this is um, our conversation today. So as many of you know, I was born and raised in Oregon, in the, in the uh, Pacific Northwest of the United States. Um, and for those of you who don't know Oregon, it rains here. It rains here in all seasons. Different kinds of rain, but rain nonetheless. And the indigenous people here did not live in teepees, right? They lived in houses made of wood because they were innately wise and practical people and had enough sense to come in out of the rain. <laughs> and it does truly rain here all the time. And in winter... It really rains. It sometimes rains for weeks at a time. And it is gray sometimes for a month at a time. And it is often cold, but rarely cold enough to snow, which would be sort of fun here. It only really snows at altitude. So here in this wet, damp, cold, rainy, gray weather, it is the perfect weather for the winter blues and for people with sad. And I love it here. Why? You know, I didn't always love it here. When I read back in my journals, which I began at about 12 years old, I hear a depressed person writing, which is very odd for someone so young. But anyway, in a way, I think I began keeping the journals as a place to begin a conversation with myself about my feelings and this depression that lay like a great smelly wet blanket over my feelings as a, as a preteen. I think that the journal was a way to explore my confusion about why I felt so bad when my life was really pretty good. So what, what changed? Because, so why do I love this cold, gray, rainy weather when my life began um, feeling the deep depression each winter. Well, I love this weather because it now 
at this time in my life, it feels like permission to go within. And at this time in my life, I like being within myself. But I didn't always. Going within in the past would first take me into a very cold sea of depression. And that sea would sometimes wash me up on some shore of a painful memory or emotions and feelings of being absolutely alone in my suffering. And then the feeling of not deserving my suffering, again, because my life was pretty good. So what was my problem? What, what was this deep sort of fundamental flaw that kept me in this depression and in an inability to truly enjoy the life that I had? So my desire to not feel this awful then lay underneath my addictions. And so what I was addicted to evolved in different phases in my life. And there were always several. And they sometimes changed. But the fact of the addictions persisted. And these addictions were an attempt to avoid the depression. And the depression was an attempt to not feel. And in particular, it was an attempt to not feel that attempt to not feel was what remained constant. And so what was the true source of my discomfort? So there is a Taoistic saying, not that I found this when I was a preteen, but there is a Taoistic saying, the only real discomfort is not experiencing your significance. And this would be an accurate diagnosis of my life at that time. It would not have been accurate to diagnose me as depressed, although I'm sure people would have. And had that been at the time of the kind of pharmaceuticals we prescribe now, I have no doubt I would have been given a prescription. But I was um, just missed that curve, thank goodness. But this was the perfect diagnosis that my real deep discomfort was that I was not experiencing my own significance. And this was true from my teen years well into my 20s. And so this significance that the, the Taoists are speaking about, and by the way, we're going to be a little Taoistic today, a little more Taoistic and a little less shamanic because it's winter and it's time to go within. And shamanism can really be very active, even as a spiritual practice. And um, sometimes the Taoistic ideas suit this time of going within better. They're somewhat more, they offer the philosophy, I think, of shamanism and allow us to sit with these things and, and reorganize our inner self and not be quite so involved in going out into journeys, but in really being with ourselves within. So anyway, the only real discomfort is not experiencing your significance. So this is significance as in an internal knowing. It's not an outward experience of ego or that state of allowing others to define your significance. So this is an internal sense of significance, not those external ones that never, frankly, ultimately really work. And so for me, the discovery of significance came in three stages. And the first I actually talked a great deal about last week, which was coming to understand that I was here by choice. That I had chosen my parents, I had chosen my life, that everything was here as the precise template 
for what my soul wanted to encounter in this lifetime to grow and to evolve. And that this was my choice. You know, come hell or high water, no matter what, no matter how crazy I must have felt that I was, this was my choice. And in that, in that understanding, in that recognizing this is choice and claiming it for better or for worse, is the fundamental shift into internal empowerment. Is that recognizing and embracing and taking responsibility for your choices. It's a profound act of empowerment. And your helping spirits will keep trying to get you there, but ultimately it is an internal shift. It's not anything anyone else can give you. So the next stage of coming out of this depression and discomfort and into a sense of true internal significance was um, an initiation into adulthood which granted was very much of the contemporary world. It was messy and took a lot of time and I didn't ever really quite know what the hell was going on. But it was a time um, in which I sacrificed everything that defined who I was at that time and every, every, everything I had been taught to be and everything I had invested up until then, all of my time and energy in becoming. And so I didn't go to medical school. I didn't do a whole lot of things I was sort of pre-programmed to go do. And I leapt into the unknown after what I had a true passion for. And in that choice, over the next couple of years, this initiation finally completed itself of disconnecting from my biological mother as my mother and connecting to the earth as the mother and disconnecting from my biological father and connecting to the sky as the father and ultimately connecting for that place, that sense of home and family into this spirit world and allowing then, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, allowing then my mom to simply be a woman in my life, a mature woman in my life and to honor her for who she was and my father to be a mature man in my life and honor him for who he was and to no longer hold them in debt for what they did or didn't do in my life. And in that claiming of the adult place in my life, which I talked a lot about last week, you become the man and the woman, the mother, the father, the adult within your own life, and you reach to spirit for your assistance on that journey. And that's the profound shift into adulthood. And then, of course, the final piece of discovering the significance, internal significance, came in finding my work in the world. Now, for me, that involved initiation and moving into shamanism. But people, whether or not you need to be initiated has more to do with what your work is than you. And so if your work in the world doesn't require initiation, the real thing to focus on here is, is finding your work, finding what allows you to express your uniqueness in the world. And that begins to give you significance. Whether or not that pays the bills is not the issue. The issue is, are you creating in your life, in some way, things that restore for you a sense of meaning and purpose. And so these are the, this, I'm not saying this is the path for everyone. I'm just sharing that as an everyday, normal American who went to public school, went to college, did everything she was expected to do, that was the path for me out of this discomfort that manifested as depression. 
and addiction, a whole array of addictions, into a discovery of a kind of significance. And that doesn't mean I don't still have hellish days, sometimes hellish years. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't mean life is perfect, but that deep discomfort of not knowing my significance in life is gone. And so everything is doable. No matter how hideous, it is ultimately doable because I am standing in that significance. And so this is what we're trying to restore in the winter. That's why I'm talking about this, not because I'm bragging about myself, but trying to express what it means to restore a sense of your inner significance in a way that is ultimately apart from the outward accomplishments in your life. But it is about your inner relationship with yourself and whether or not you internally feel significant. And the only way we internally feel significance is if we are doing something we internally value and feel has meaning. So the first opportunity in going within in the winter is to rediscover your true significance. And in doing that, uh, we, f- we feel what we are really feeling. So in doing that, we must lift or clear our depression by feeling the real feelings. For me, in clearing my depression, I was able to address my array of addictions. And so another Taoistic saying is that addiction is a lack of participation. And so the way I see that connecting in is that by not participating in what I was feeling deeply, I was avoiding the intensity of my life. And when we avoid intensity, our participation is shallow. So it's a, it's a tight loop and it just keeps feeding on itself. So when we engage in addictive behavior, to recre- we engage then in the addictive behavior to try to recreate the intensity that we're refusing to go into in the first place. But it's an intensity, it's the addictive intensity is an intensity that doesn't really require feeling. It's actually a way of avoiding what we think we don't want to feel. So the real thing then in going inward in this time is to feel deeply and authentically, to throw off the big smelly wet blanket of depression, to throw off the habit of how we approach that which gives us discomfort, and to dive into the pool and to feel, to feel deeply and to feel authentically. And to not get caught up in the drama of a story or the expression of the thing out in the world, but to feel authentically means to feel what we are feeling in the moment, what we as the current time person are feeling. And to do this, we really need to enter through solitude into the deep feeling and the authentic feelings. And in this way, we connect to the intensity that really lives within us. And, the, and this intensity is, is somehow trapped and locked in these feelings we're afraid to feel, which results in the depression, which results in the addictions. And if we unwind all that and go back, this intensity we really wish we felt in our heart is there in those feelings we've been afraid to feel or we didn't have the time to feel or we're afraid if we felt them we make too big a mess and we don't have time to clean up the mess. I mean, whatever it is, whatever the inner rationale is, 
that when we move into deep and authentic feelings, we reconnect with our own inner intensity. And in this way, our heart fills with what we are truly feeling and we engage the inner healer. When we move out of the stances of addiction and martyrdom in our life and say no, this is in the wintertime, we need to say no. I'm not going to go into my everyday ordinary addictive behaviors or the martyrdom of my life. Oh, sure, I'd be happy to do that. Don't mind me, the martyr, right? When we say no to that and say, I am going into solitude now to feel the full intensity of my unfelt feelings. I'm going to feel all that I didn't have time to feel throughout this year. Just day by day, month by month. Or I'm going to feel all that I haven't taken the time to feel throughout my lifetime. It's all here waiting for me. So when we move out of these stances of addiction and martyrdom in our life and say, no, I'm going into solitude now to feel the full intensity of my unfelt feelings so that I can remember my own significance. So you could journey to your inner healer and ask your inner healer to take you to your true discomfort, to that true discomfort that sits there um, that can lead you to your significance. And so you could do that journey and then bring that true discomfort out like an old quilt made of many familiar patterns. And then you could meditate on that quilt of your true discomfort. You could explore the terrains and the patterns and connect with the intensity of the true feelings raised by what you find in that quilt. And then you can allow your heart to grow filled with the intensity of your true emotions. They won't kill you. And I know this because they would already have done it. So you can allow your heart to grow full with the intensity of your true emotions. And under it all, under all the stories you've used to define yourself, under all the beliefs you've used to define the facts of life, under all of this, you will find that under it all, your soul loves you deeply. Under all of those emotions, now stirred and filling your heart with the intensity of all of these feelings, under all of that is the love of your soul. The love your soul feels for you, the human, on the journey. To feel again the soul and its love for this life, its love for the human who is living it, its love for the journey that you are on, that is the gift in being willing to feel again the intensity of these unfelt feelings and to let it fill our heart. And with that full heart, we can feel the soul and its love for us. And that full heart and that feeling in the full heart of the soul's love for the human and the soul's love for the journey, the soul's love for life. We can feel our full heart growing strong. And so in this time of restoration, there are four questions that we could ask ourselves. Well, there are many questions we could ask ourselves, but there are four questions we could ask ourselves to restore the strength of our hearts. 
So one question you could ask is what could restore balance in the parts of my life that are out of balance? And in this, think not only of doing more, but more specifically of doing less. Where are the imbalances in your life being created because of excess thinking, excess activity, excess attachment, loyalty, commitment, duty? Where are the imbalances created by doing too much? And perhaps what is needed to restore balance in your life would be doing less. Perhaps doing differently. But certainly something must change if there are parts of your life that are out of balance. So one thing that we could ask to restore the strength in our hearts and that real knowing of that love the soul holds for us is what could restore balance in the parts of my life that are out of balance. The second question would be, where do I need to focus more attention or resources to bring my inner life an outer life into wholeness. Wholeness is different from balance. And so we're wanting to bring the, um, in Chinese medicine, the ling and the shen, the inner heart, the ling and the outer presentation of the heart, the shen. We're wanting to bring these energies into balance, into, into kind of a yin-yang relationship that defines wholeness. And so the question would be, where do you need to focus more attention or resources to bring your inner life and outer life into wholeness? So, for example, if I were to move into solitude, to stop all of the actions of my life and to be with myself and ask myself that question, what I would find is that I would need to put more attention Towards the things in life that cultivate, um, well, more attention to solitude, actually, in, in the dailiness of life, in each day, a bit in each day, a bit more in each week, a bit more in each month. Not trying to make grand gestures like I'm going to go off to a 14-day silent retreat, but more where is the solitude in each hour? Where is the solitude in each day? Where is that time for myself in each week? That would be what I would need to pay more attention to because my attention is sporadic in that arena. But at the same time, in terms of resources, I need actually to direct my resources outward. There's certain things outwardly that need time and energy and resources to set a system in motion that would let my whole life be easier. And so... The sense of wholeness is not necessarily as we might assume. There may be things that need to be done in the inner world and the outer world to create a wholeness in our life. So the third question that can help us to restore the strength of our hearts is to what aspect of my life must I bring trust to restore the strength of my heart. For many people, they feel their heart is strengthened by learning to journey and through the journey, developing trust in the spirit world as an active participant in their life. 
And so that is a, is a common example in shamanism of how people's heart strengthens for the destiny by simply creating their natural and innate uh, relationship with spirit and making it conscious and active and an everyday part of their life and that it takes great trust initially to do that. Um, and so that would be an example But that may not be what lacks trust. You may simply trust, you may simply lack the trust that you are fundamentally of value. You may lack the trust that you're capable of doing the dream you know you must do. So what you need to trust could be internal or it could be external. And what we need to do to be able to restore the strength of our hearts is to bring trust to bear in all the aspects of our life that require it, that we can go forward. And so the third question then is to what aspect of my life must I bring trust to restore the strength of my heart? And the final question around our, the strength of our heart is in what ways is my fear of the future And the attachment to outcome that results from that. So in what way is my fear of the future suffocating the things in my life that could strengthen my heart? And the the really common contemporary example, which is beginning to become a stereotype, but it is a good example because there's a metaphor for us as adults. But right now there are this sort of running Um, joke almost of the parents that are absolutely neurotic trying to get their child into the correct preschool so that they'll be able to get into Yale, you know, without any idea whether that child or, or Harvard or wherever, right? You can fill in the blank. But the point is, is the parents who are orchestrating the life of the child with this attachment to a particular outcome, which may or may not have anything to do with the child and their destiny. And in that are distorting and damaging or suffocating the life of the child themselves. And so how are we then as adults doing that to our own child energy? How are we fearful of the future and attached to what we believe are particular outcomes with such a a grip that we are suffocating the very energy that would strengthen our heart and help our heart to guide us in our life. So these are the kinds of questions that we can ask in the winter to help to strengthen our heart. And the answers to these questions can be used to reorient ourselves. It's not to give you a to-do list and just think of more and more and more things to do, but more a sense of how do you reorient yourself in your life? How do you reorient your energy towards care And reorient yourself towards the things you do for alignment so that the template in your life for self-care and self-alignment and how you orient yourself in your life is um, remodeled in a sense to support you for who you are at this time in your life. So another Taoist perspective that supports us here is that our dignity is based on our ability to go inward and reflect. 
And so this is what the strong heart allows us to do, is to feel our dignity and our honor in that strength and to go inward and reflect. And in this way, we restore our relationship to our own inner teacher, leader, sovereign, archetypal energy. And that allows us to step into our sovereignty for better and for worse and to cultivate the strength of our hearts. And the reason I use the word cultivate all the time, by the way, is because it allows us to stay out of this idea that we have to do everything right and perfect and that's the only way to get to where we're going. But to me, cultivation means sometimes I make really good choices and sometimes I make really bad choices. But if I'm cultivating something, my job is simply to learn from those bad choices and to to cultivate and enrich and always grow my understanding of something. Not that I have an idea of perfect and what that would look like. And so that's why I use the word cultivate. And so when we, we, we go inward and reflect from a place of dig- dignity and honor of ourself, then we can restore our relationship with the teacher leader, sovereign within ourselves. And that allows us to cultivate the strength of our hearts. Now, to go inward and reflect especially at a time when you have so many holiday parties on your dance card, right? But to choose to go inward and reflect is an act of personal warriorship. It always is. There, and there is no true warriorship without discomfort. And so winter is the time that the environment tries to make it so uncomfortable to go outside that you stay inside where it's cozy, And then in that warm embrace of your cozy home, you step into your sacred space. And in the coziness of your home and your sacred space, you risk the challenge of your own inner discomfort. And this is the way to then open your heart. So from a Taoistic perspective, warriorship is impossible without a sense of solitude. So as the colder, shorter days move us inside, it is wise to turn off the TV, to close your Facebook page, to stop answering your emails at 11 o'clock at night, to turn off the lights, to light a candle, to create a sacred space for yourself within your home, a place of comfort and a place of peace, a place of solitude and to just be. The most frightening trail leads to the nourishment of the self. It's another Taoistic saying. And it is right to be afraid of this trail. It is wrong to stay away from it. So if we sit in solitude in the center of ourself with our full heart, so the heart that's filled with those intense feelings, those deep and authentic feelings, then those energies can become the campfire in the center of our sacred space. And so from that full heart and the full feelings for and of yourself, that you can find the way to open the heart. That trail, there are many trails that lead from that campfire. And that trail that opens your heart is the trail from the campfire you are most afraid to take. Take it anyway. We are constantly in relation to our weaknesses. Our strength is in relationship to our weaknesses. The more strongly you feel, ugh, 
this is the area of my life that I fail, I fall down in, I can't show up again and again and again. Ugh, I don't want to take that path. The more strongly you feel that, the more surely you have found the right path for this winter. Take it. You don't go down that path alone. You have spirit help. You have the soul that loves you, the human, and loves the journey. So you don't go down that path alone. So take it. Take that path away from the campfire of your own intense feelings. Take that path and ask, what is the true nature of the enemy within me? What is the true nature of the enemy within? And as you meet that enemy on the path, greet the enemy with honor. And invite the enemy back to the campfire of your full heart. Feed the enemy. Feed the enemy what he or she is hungry for. Honor that being for their journey. Watch the enemy begin to transform in the light of the fire of your heart. The enemy has a gift, perhaps a story, perhaps an energy to share with you. When you get to the heart of the enemy, as we often do as we sit around the campfire, getting to the heart of each other, when you get to the heart of the enemy, you will have found the key to opening your heart. And when you can renew your courage to open your heart, you will have found the warrior archetype again. And you can welcome the warrior to that table with the leader, with the healer. And the child and the sage and the man and the woman and that table of wise counsel is filled once again. And your path to that table is ever more cleared. So with a full and strong heart, you can renew the courage to open your heart by bringing the enemy within you that lives in the dark to that campfire of your intense feelings. And with the heart energies restored in this way, we can replenish the dreaming. So when the heart is full of your intense and true feelings, when your heart is strong with your own inner dignity, and when your heart has the courage to be open, you can again connect with the dreaming. We can replenish the dreaming source that gives us purpose and meaning in life. It is not lost. This is the true work of this inner time, this winter, this time of gestation. So in this place within, full and strong and open, we can ask ourselves, what is the seed of the dream that I want to take root now so that it will flourish in the springtime? You know, in class one day, many years ago, my teacher said, life is not going to be perfect. Otherwise, the soul will become bored and drop out of the body. And so as we ask this question, what is the seed of the dream that I want to take root now so that it will flourish in the springtime? You know, that is the question of gestation of the winter. It's important to remember that life is not going to be perfect. Otherwise, the soul will become bored and drop out of the body. So it's the time to look back at your life and your dreams from that attitude that your life wasn't supposed to be perfect. There is no failure here. Look back at it from a sense 
from the editor's eye, the crusty, hard editor, looking back, the editor who serves only the story, not the feelings of the writer. Look back at your life and the way your resources are orchestrated in your life and how your attention is spent and where your focus goes. Look at your life with that crusty old editor's eye who cares only for the life of the story because the life of the story is your destiny. It is the story of your journey to your destiny. And the question really is in the winter as we review our life, cozy inside, sitting in our sacred space, at the campfire of our heart, what story do we want to write with our life? And it's an important question. What story do you want to write with your life? Your life, even lived humbly, can be legend. Because those who live a life of legend are those who are remembered for having touched other people's hearts, for having mentored others simply by how they chose to live, for having championed the causes of others because they were the person who was there in the moment who could do it, for having called out the greater good in others simply by their willingness to call out their own greater good. These are the lives of legend, not fame, Not so much those who are on the pages of history, but those people who choose to live in a way that their heart moves them in their life so fully, so openly, with such strength, that they manifest their own dream in a way that inspires the living of dreams in others. That is the story the editor serves. So put on the editor cap, roll up your sleeves, and draw the editor's pen out. And look back at your life with this idea. What is the seed of the dream that I want to take root now so that it will flourish in the spring? Life is not going to be perfect. Life hasn't been perfect. So what is incomplete that isn't going to be completed? End it. What dreams did you long for from the time you were a child that are not the dreams you are choosing to live now? Release them. What duties or obligations or things you feel you must do give no meaning or purpose to your life? Find a way responsibly to give those over to those who would find purpose and meaning in doing them. Edit your life. You are the one who is responsible and needs to love this story. It is your story. So it's a time to serve the dream this winter time. To move through your life in your mind with the power of truth telling. Feeling a sense of your true nature. And being absolutely intolerant of those places that lack integrity and impeccability. This stance, this attitude, this crusty old editor is what clears the heart. Oddly enough, it is the stroke of that pen. It is the slice of the sword 
that cuts off that thing which is really, truly no longer needing to be part of the story, that clears the heart. It allows you to look at yourself with a full heart and release that which does not bring love and connection and real relationships into your life. To look at yourself with your strong and trustworthy heart and release those things that you do that draw you away from the center in which you are the sovereign. You do them for reasons other than this is my choice because this is my responsibility in life. And look at your life with an open heart of compassion and choose. Choose where you will put your resources in the months to come. Where you will put your heart, where you will put your thoughts, where you will put your spirit, where you will put your body and all of its energy. What you will do with your work life, what you will do with your home life. Look at all of this as if next spring is the last. That in the planting of the seeds in this winter, you lay down the roots for the last cycle of your life. And in this way, death steps in as the ally. And this is what nature shows us all around. Death steps in as the ally and says sacrifice. Drop the leaves. Let everything go that does not serve the essential life here. And let it become the fertile soil for the next season and for the next year. So edit. Let the clear heart be free to breathe and edit and lob off all those things that suffocate the clarity of your dream. So look at your life with an open heart, a heart of compassion and choose as if there will be only one more spring. This is what relieves the suffocation of the dreaming within you. And this is what restores your relationship with your own inner visionary. So with the visionary and the warrior, the teacher, leader, and the healer at the table, you have your allies to help you forge the path of your life's journey towards your destiny. So allow yourself to take the time this winter and restore your relationship with your destiny, with purpose, and with your heart because it is your heart that guides you on that journey. Thank you all for listening this week. I want to give thanks to the ancestors for gathering round, for the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. If you are moved by this show in any way, know that you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and find other shows. You can donate, you can explore around. If you want to find out about classes that are happening next year, they're beginning in January, um, and so it's coming up soon. You can go to lastmaskcenter.org. And I want to take a moment and share that next week our guest is John Bredahl, who very successfully works with some of the most challenging problems, illnesses, whatever we want to call them, that children and families suffer with today, like ADD and ADHD, birth traumas, um, dyslexia, autism, all of these things that feel really insurmountable to many children and many families. And John is working very successfully and beautifully with these issues 
in fa- for families and children. And so I'd like you to join us next week and listen to John just share with us what he has discovered in his life and the beauty and the joy and the play um, in this work with children. So thank you all for joining this week. Have a great week. <laughs>